A warm welcome to everybody. My name is Aston and welcome to my channel. I'll be uploading a lot of ministry content, some preaching, some Christian apologetics, substance abuse recovery material, and some life coaching principles and strategies. So today we are continuing in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and we'll be reading from verse 20. So we're just going over some uh, verses or one verse from yesterday. And then we'll be going all the way to verse 27. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians, chapter number 1, verse 20 to verse 27. And it reads as follows. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful works for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am pressured or persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing, love your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then when I, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have um, so early in this morning, that you will be honored among us, that you'll be glorified among us, and that we can be conscious of who you are, and Lord, that we can come to you in a petition of prayer, submitting our will unto your will, Lord. May our lives be a reflection of your love and your grace in and through us. Um, for us to love, Lord, is gain, and we know it is for you, and even dying, Lord, nothing can separate us from you, but that will be the all the greater gain. But Lord, we have purpose and intent of why you have made us, and today may we understand that through what we see Paul teaching the church at Philippi. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, and we just adore you for who you are this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, for yesterday's sessions, uh, we were looking at the importance of values. And we looked at two sets of values. The one is towards values, and the one is away from values. But thinking about those values, to reiterate once again, thinking of those values, 
to reiterate once again is that the values are things that move us. It's things that motivate us. It's things that compel us. So, in essence, our values determine what we really live for. And also our lack of values also determine what we really live for. But here's the question that is up for discussion through these verses is, what does a Christian live for? What does a Christian live for? Well, if you've ever seen some sports figures, um, you won't find them really that much living a life that would contradict the yelf that it takes for them to be fit enough to be playing in the game. You know, they even do these drug tests to make sure that they're not taking certain steroids and things that they shouldn't be taking. Um, they, have to, they have to meet certain requirements. Um, they have to live their life in a certain way. They have, to, they have to train in a certain way in order for them to be fit enough. Um, they have to know and learn their opponent in order to be able to challenge their opponent to actually win a game. Um, their life is structured around that. A sports figure lives to be a sports figure. But how about you? What do you live for? Now, that sounds monotonous, I know, but I want you to actually take some time and think about that. What compels you? And yes, 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 um, the typical Christian response, Jesus, Pastor, but does Jesus really compel you? Does he honestly compel you? Because if Christ does honestly compel you, what evidence of that can we see in your life? And here's the next point. The lack of that evidence. Are you really a Christian? So, with all of that in mind, um, re, um, going over some recap, is um, this is Paul's letter to the churches at Philippi. He writes to thank them for... Um, the gracious gift that he sends them. He speaks about how the gospel has been advancing in chapter 1. He speaks about the joy that he finds in their partnership, not only for the gifts that they bring, but even for their partnership um, with, uh, with, with him in the gospel, um, that they are continuing to grow in Christ. Um, and then Paul shares about how um, his imprisonment has actually served for the advancement of the gospel through difficult, through challenging times, um, God doesn't change, nor does God's message change, but God even uses those times to continue to advance His gospel. And then a part of that chunk of passage is where we pick up today's passage, um, and it's what we closed with yesterday. Verse 20 says this, My eager expectation and hope. So here's something that he's expectant of, and we need to understand that in the context that Paul is using this word hope, He's not using it like us. I hope that things would work out good for the center. Um, that's a hope. But it's a hope that demands some sort of an action. But if you go and you're going to go and watch a game, you know, you hope Man United would win Liverpool. Okay? Your hope that you have is dependent on the actions of others. Paul's hope is in the certainty of the person of Christ. I'll say that again. Paul's hope is in the certainty of the person of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope 
It's not hope that he's, he's hoping that, you know, I just hope everything will be okay. You know, I hope they come through. I hope it turns out. No, he's got certainty in his hope. My eager expectation, he's got expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. So, what is he eager? What is he, what's, he, what's he expectant of? Well, that he won't be ashamed of anything. So, Paul's life and Paul's reflection is not one that would have aspects or characteristics of contradiction to it. But that in everything, God will be glorified and God will be honored. And listen to this. And I mean, it, it, it's funny. And I think some, sometimes the thing we make most lightly about it, and even when we do speak about it, it becomes like a cliche. A cliche is a, a famous, monotonous saying, you know, um, like God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. No, it's a cliche. It's a saying. Okay? And sometimes we say this as if it's a cliche that Paul was willing to die for the gospel. But it's not just a cliche, it's a reality. Now look at this. He says, um, My eager expectation and my hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, now, as, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The thing for me that puzzles me when I think of this verse, and I think about this verse, not only in the context of Paul being in prison, in the context of Paul writing to the Philippians, but in the context of how does this apply to my life. It saddens me. And it saddens me not only for my life, but for many around me. Listen to this. Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death. Now, can we truthfully say that Christ is honored in our body? Can we really mean it when we say, to you be the glory, Lord? Do we mean that? Do you really mean, to you be the glory, Lord? And here Paul comes to this conclusion in verse 21, for me living is Christ. And dying is gain. Now, at some point as a Christian, you would feel that, oh, the pressures of life is so much, I want to just go and be with the Lord. No, that's not how we use this verse. For me to love is Christ and for me to die is gain. What Paul means by this is the certainty of the resurrection that we have in Jesus. You see, the value that we have for the life that God has given us and what we live for and how we live for that life is married to the concept of that life flows from this life to the everlasting life. The difference in the comparison between the two is there won't be any hardship anymore. There won't be any tears anymore. There won't be any pain anymore. But most assuredly, there won't be sin anymore. So Paul's desire is to get to that place where, where sin would cease to exist, where hardship would cease to exist, where, where, where prison cell is no longer the fate of some of those who believe in Jesus. Because if you didn't know, 
persecution is a big thing. In our country, it's not. But persecution is a big thing. The martyrdom of Christians is a big thing. And Paul is not saying, you know what, I'd rather go and be with Jesus to escape the martyrdom, the murder, the mass murder and persecution of Christians. But that's not what he's saying. Paul is saying that he knows it will be greater to be in the arms of Christ one day. But I mean, think about that. Do we, do we look forward with expectation the day of the Lord where we get to depart from this life and be with Him for all eternity? Now, I'm sure um, um, Brother Earl is, is coming towards the, the, the completion of his, his six months. So this week, Sunday, we, we're celebrating his graduation. I'm sure there's an eagerness, there's an expectation for something like that. Uh, you know, couples, when they, when they, when, when they decide to take their, their, their relationship to the next level and they pursue a marriage, and on that day, I'm sure as um, the bride walks down that aisle, she's rattling on the inside. I'm sure the groom, as he's standing there, you know, the mouth is all moldy inside. You know? so he's looking around wanting to ask the best man to get me some water. But they're so expectant. They're so expectant. Do we long for the day to be with Jesus with such expectation? And if that longing to be with Jesus is just to escape the reality of the now and the year, we have absolutely no clue what it means to be a believer. Now, keep that in mind and listen to this. For me, living is Christ. Sometimes we erase that part when we use this as a cliche. For me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. Hello? For me to live is Christ. Now what does that look like in your life? So, one thing that we learn about Paul is the existence of the man formerly known as Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. His life means one thing, to live for Jesus. Now, on the outreach, I, I mentioned it, I said, you know, I have the unique privilege of engaging with people, to be able to have the privilege of speaking to people that come from addiction, and I get to speak to them on a daily about Jesus. And I mentioned it, you know, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the evening. But is that what your life really reflects? Jesus in the morning, and Jesus in the evening. Do you take the message of the crucifixion of Jesus, allow it to be grasped, allow yourself to awaken to the knowledge and allow your heart to be changed and transformed by it? And here comes the thing, is that evident in everything that you do? Is God glorified in your body? Let's, let's go back Let's go back to verse 20. But my eager, my, 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 my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We're looking for the death part, for God to be honored in our lives. But listen to Paul, verse 21. For me, living is Christ. Now, not to think about it negatively, 
for us who come from addiction, we were living for our drug. Some people, when you look at them in relationships, they live for their partner. Others, with social media, they live for social media. Every picture goes on to Facebook. Every check-in, you checked in by spa, you checking in, buying, buying sweeties for the kiddo for school. For you to love is the recognition of the satisfaction that you get that others have to observe your life. And your life has nothing to do about, about anything or anybody else but me, myself and I. But not for a Christian. For us, the thing that moves our heart is not getting our next fix each and every day. Getting our next high each and every day. I mean, think about it. Now I can remember my, my, my addiction days. Vroeg wakker. Early in the morning, wide awake. With the expectation of hustling. With the expectation of making a plan. To put a little bit of glass in a pipe and melt it. And to smoke my sorrows away. I lived for my drug. But now, do we live for Christ? The man, now, truth be told, what we're actually living for sometimes is the very thing that causes our judgment. And can we say that now that we've passed from being in a position where we are dead in our sins, we made alive uh, um, in Christ and through Christ, with Christ for God, now we move from dead in our sins and our trespasses, and Jesus makes us alive. But here's the thing. Now that we've moved from that process, has our lives changed to live for Christ? Or have we just replaced our addiction one to other? We move from, from, from tuk, from crystal meth to food. And then to money. And then to fame. Then to fortune. Here's the thing. Maybe some are even addicted to their sobriety. Everything is about me being clean. But when are you going to get out of the picture and Christ going to manifest in your life? For me to live is Christ. And here comes the thing. Does our lives really embody and encompass what Jesus wants us to do? How Jesus wants us to live? For me, living is Christ. Which means every, sing that, every, every single thing that I do has something, somehow, some way to do with the message of the scriptures and what the message teaches me. And then here comes the thing, that the reality of life, that death will one day come knocking on my door. Well, guess what? That will be the biggest gain. You can't stop a Christian from living and you definitely can't stop a Christian from living by killing them. Think about this. I mean, imagine this. The guards come in. If they would have to tell Paul the Apostle, you know what? We're going to murder you now. Probably look at them and say, like what? Like you've done to my Savior? And then he raised back from life? What can they really do to you? Put you in the fiery furnace? Like they did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And what happened? So, so what, what, what are they going to do? Remove all your belongings. Well, if you look in the book of Acts, uh, those that were persecuted for their faith, 
I mean, wh- what can they do? They, they take all your stuff. That church had already given away all their stuff. Our life is not found in the midst of our possessions, in the midst of what we have, what we've attained, what we have achieved. Our life, our life is found in the midst of Jesus. And even if our life were to be ransomed from us, because it's been placed in Jesus, He gives it back. So what stops a Christian from living? Not even death. Death is the highest form of gain for a believer. But we don't wait for that time to be with Jesus. And here comes the thing. If you can't honor Him with your life now, how are you going to make it in heaven? If we can't glorify God with what we're doing right now, what's heaven going to look like? For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, okay, so Paul goes on to explain, okay, so, so this is what it means. So, so if I carry on living in the flesh, like you, you, you see him, okay? If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful works for me. So now we get the picture of what um, for me living is Christ. It means works. It means deeds. It means doing something. And I don't know which I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, obviously, in the context and in the setting of Paul's imprisonment, but here's the reality for every believer. We long forward for that day. But even though we know that day is better, we don't lose sight of the here and the now. Fruitful works. So I pose the question to you again. What are you really living for? And I want you to think about it. I want you to, to look at, take yesterday for an example. What was the motive? What was the goal to achieve at the end of that day? And did you achieve that? And here comes the thing. Has that goal honored Jesus in what you have done? Because it's easy for us to reach goals. Very easy. Reaching, goal, reaching a goal is, is, is simple. If it's hard for you by now, I've been wondering what you've been doing with your life until now. If you don't know how to, how to set something aside and to work towards it. Reaching a goal is easy. After that, it becomes monotonous. You're an achiever. But here's the thing. If you take that goal, and that goal has nothing to do with Christ, it wasn't a goal worth achieving. Think about yesterday. Think about what you've done. Think about it. Did you achieve your task? And has your task brought glory to God in your life? We can't talk about dying which is far better if we don't know how, what it means to even love for Jesus. Yeah, you know, one day we'll get to heaven and God will explain everything. No, he's explained everything and he's telling you to start loving it now. Fruitful works. But hey, what would be better? Obvious. Being with the Lord. Which Paul says, which is far better. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So think about this. Paul's life is not self-centered around him. Paul's life is centered around the impact 
that his life can have at the church of Philippians. Now, I mean, think about that. Are you willing to live the best that you can for Jesus so that it can impact the people of the church that you planted in? Now, which moves to the next point. What contribution do you add to Sunday service? Yeah, we're not loving, are we? Here's the other thing. If we remove you, if we, if we have to remove the announcement lady, it costs nothing for the pastor to do announcements. If we have to remove the giving lady, if we have to remove me, if we have to remove the sound guy, if we have to remove the ashes, is what you are living for a reflection of fruitful works and more necessary for the church? Now, we obviously, we know Paul's answer because we're reading his letter. He says, verse 25, Since I am pressured of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So, how do they continue to grow? Well, obviously, God caused them to grow. But without Paul, there wouldn't be that much of progress because Paul chooses to remain in the flesh and fruitful works. Why? For their progress and joy. Now here's the thing. There's mutuality with the joy that they receive. Because we see that Paul had joy because of them. He prayed with joy because of them. They brought him joy because of their partnership with him in the gospel. And Paul remaining in the flesh doing what he needs to done, results in them having joy. There's mutuality. Now, all of these things, again, has nothing to do with the Philippians or with Paul. But it's everything to do with Jesus. It has every... Why? Because living is for Jesus. Dying is for Jesus. You can't get around or get away from a life worth living for Jesus. Verse 26. So that because of me, your confidence may grow. Well, of course, we got savage Paul in front of us. Of course, any believers that was around Paul's circle. I mean, they, hey, they put Paul in jail. Yeah, did you hear the whole jail is saved now? Imagine how confident the people that are surrounded with Paul in his circle. They might have, the people must have thought, oh, it's the end of Paul. Did you hear? He's in prison. He's in prison. And then the others would be like, and did you hear? The gods are getting saved. Did you hear people even dare all the more to preach now? People's confidence is growing. Listen to what he says. Verse 26, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus. So, here's the thing. Your life worth living. Fruitful works. Who is benefiting? from you living for Christ. Who's becoming more confident? Here's the thing. If our Christianity, and, and not in a negative way, not in, a, in the charismatic false teaching type of way, um, of your life being, being the essence of what draws people to, to Christ, because we know Christianity is not, um, is not popular. But for those who are Christian, do they see you as an example? 
Does the men in the church feel like they want to become more of a man if they see my example? Do they want to become more confident in Jesus if they see my example? This is the example that Paul is relating to the church. Confidence. They grow in confidence. And here it goes, it says, you, um, because of your confidence, may grow, here it comes, in Christ. You see, none of that is ever centered on a person, but it's centered around the person of Jesus. So that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ. In other words, they believe even more in Jesus because of Paul. When I come to you again, and then we'll close on this note and we'll pick it up tomorrow uh, morning. He says, just one thing. Just, just this one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Are you worthy? Well, here comes the thing. We're not saved because we are worthy. No. God doesn't save anybody because they're worthy. We are all unqualified sinners, deserving of judgment. But for those who are saved, are you living your life now worthy of the gospel? Well, what does that look like? And we'll pick that up tomorrow morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that has gone forth uh, this morning. And may it not only be head knowledge, but may it be transformational. May it change us. May it prune us. May it groan us. May it uplift us. And may you be glorified in and through us. Not that we are worthy. Not that there is anything spectacular about us, Lord, no. But we know that it's you. You are worthy, Lord. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor for all that you are mighty to do. You are mighty to save. And indeed, you have shown us that by saving us and calling us from our sin to cling to the gracious cross of Jesus. And we thank you for that. And because of that, Lord, we desire to live our lives in a manner in which is worthy of the gospel. Lord, for us to live is Christ. And yes, dying would be gain. And living means fruitful works. And we thank you, Lord, that you have prepared and called us to live a life that is like this. We live for you, for your glory, and for your praise. And may you be highly honored in our bodies, whether by life or even by death. In Jesus' name we pray.